Hey everyone, and thank you for joining me this Thursday. Allow me to start out by saying that I have a migraine, um, so I'm not sure if this will go on for as long as uh, a normal show will, because, you know, migraine. And also, if I'm talking in a lower volume, it's because of that. So now you know, and you can tolerate, or not, you know, either way, but I'm just going to kind of whine at you and then continue to do what I would normally do, because that's the very feminine way of dealing with problems, is just to kind of whine and then, and then continue. So anyway, let's, let's go with that. I want to start, start out by talking about uh, one of the more crazy leftists, and I know that's just kind of a broad term now, but, you know, one of the people who always looks at us and calls us conspiracy theorists until most recently when they just can't seem to inject enough and cover their faces enough, um, or in this case, treat their children like hostages. So I want to introduce you to a woman who's actually a high school teacher. Her name is Sarah Beam. So here is Sarah Beam. Now, again, an actual high school teacher who apparently pulled through a drive-through COVID testing site in Harris County, Texas, when an officer heard a noise coming from her trunk. Um, that noise was apparently her 13-year-old child who was found in the trunk when the trunk was opened by an officer who heard the noise and decided to investigate what that was, what that was coming from her trunk, seriously. And she explained that her child had tested positive for COVID-19 and therefore had to be quarantined. She's um, on administrative leave now after being charged. Uh, thankfully, her child was okay. But this is a real story. And it's like, the hysteria has reached such incredible lengths for some of these people. And again, these are the people who look at the people who are going on and living normal lives like myself and, and many of you, and and they, they blame us and call us the conspiracy theorists whilst they're unwilling to live and are instead endangering their own children. And there was another uh, case recently, here I'll go ahead and turn Sarah off. Um, there's another case recently of a woman who was bragging on Twitter about how her teenage son had broken his foot and she was not going to take that teenage son to the hospital. And it, it, I showed this like picture of just a really messed up, obviously broken foot. She wasn't going to take her teenage son to the hospital. Why? Well, because he might get COVID while there. And they take COVID seriously. And that's the way that she put it. I don't know why it's always women who are, like, who are doing this. But anyway, uh, yeah. And it's like, there are people who are kind of losing their minds over this. And maybe that's to some degree to be expected. At least if you live in this sort of leftist bubble and you believe everything that you've been told, right? I think if you, perhaps to empathize with these people most, we have to kind of imagine that. Like imagine that we've been through two years of being told everyone's going to die. You know, you're going to die. Civilization is ending. There is a plague. And that plague is is traveling everywhere, and the only way that you can do it is with the only way you can fix it is with this mass compliance, right? Uh, and so on. Um, at that point, these people are beginning to snap. Like you know, two years in to this degree of just constant fear, and they're beginning to snap. A while, a while blaming most especially the unvaccinated. The unvaccinated have become like the ultimate kind of people who are non-compliant at this point. Hold on. <clears throat> the unvaccinated have become the sort of scapegoats of society 
that if you have not taken the vaccine, you haven't just not taken a vaccine, like if you decided you didn't want the polio vaccine at some point, that wouldn't ostracize you from society, nobody would even know. But now if you haven't taken the most recent round of vaccines, we're talking about the fourth, then you have, you, you have in some way um, threatened the sort of, the zeitgeist, if you, if you will, right? That you, you've threatened this sort of social order at a whole new level. And that's where they are. And then they kind of are blaming the, the unvaccinated or the non-compliant for every sort of social ill that happens from here out. If if these corporations can't open up, you know, they're, they're kind of lingo, not mine, then it's because of the unvaccinated. You know, if we have to close down again, which is, again, their terminology, not mine, then it's because of the unvaccinated. If you lose your rights, it's because of the unvaccinated. And it kind of goes on and on as they scapegoat one group of society who have been refusing to comply with government edicts. And that's what it comes down to. It is one massive power grab. And so they see this one group of people that's standing up and saying, you know, I'm not going to comply. I don't think that you own my body and this isn't a medical treatment that I want. And again, this has nothing to do with the actual efficacy of them. I don't care. This is about individual human rights and your own ability to make decisions that affect you and your family, regardless of what the government wants you to do medically. I don't think the government should be the one making your medical decisions for you or threatening you for the medical decisions that you have made or decide to make in the future. Um, John Cox is the only one who closed down a small businesses, big companies stay open. Yes. Yes, exactly. They, they decided to basically destroy the economy by destroying small businesses and engaging in the biggest transfer of wealth that we have ever seen in United States history. A while, and this was by the same people, gosh, my head hurts. This was by the same people who railed for years about how we've got this kind of disparity of wealth, right? This is one of their kind of uh, talking points, was where you have the top 0.1% that has all this different wealth, and then you've got the, the kind of the, the, the poor who don't, who don't have much money and who are still kind of scrabbling to get by. And we can just kind of, through a communistic redistribution of wealth system, we could fix all this, and yet we won't because uh, capitalists are evil. This is one of their points. But the thing is, that wealth distribution, or wealth mobility rather, used to happen in the United States more than in any other country, right? There, there was a tremendous ability for an individual to start a business that was successful and to find himself in the top 1%, right? Because 1%, I think, was, at least a few years ago when I checked it, it was like uh, $360,000 um, a year. And that was possible. And now we kind of are in this situation where what happened was, all these small business owners who were in the 1%, you know, those small business owners who are making their way up and innovating and hiring other people and so on, they were decimated. And so what you had was a transfer of wealth from those people to the 0.1% that the left used to talk about. And we're talking about, you know, companies like Amazon and like Walmart. They're the businesses that were allowed to stay open. And, this, and it was leftist politicians predominantly, not to say all, there were plenty of Republicans who were um, garbage in this regard as well. But it was, it was the leftists who were loudest, who were most confident in the destruction of these businesses, and who at the same time, only a couple of years ago, were talking at length about the poor wealth mobility that we had in this country. Which wasn't true at the time, but certainly is now, because they decimated the small businesses, and did so most especially in those cities... Right? in the middle of the cities 
where you had the most stringent regulations that killed these businesses. And that's why I've seen some articles that said something to the effect of, well, this has affected like black people more as if like the as if the um, shutdowns were in some way racial. Like they weren't, but inside of like the inner cities, you had Democrats, right? You had the the high density population areas. You actually had the most leftist and most awful uh, politicians in positions of leadership, and so it did actually affect those people more, not for racial reasons, but because they lived in an area where it was like a leftist hellhole. Right, and then so they had to they had to shut down for that reason. Uh, hold on. John Cox, we're ending up with two classes: the ultra ultra rich and the poor, which is what happens whenever you have a socialistic or communistic system, right? I mean, that's the thing. Yes, they they talk about how what we're going to have is a system where everybody's equal and everybody gets paid the most. No, you're going to have a system where like ninety five percent of the people get paid nothing. Right, who are at the very kind of lowest end possible that are in poverty, and then you have the party elites who have all the money. That's what happens in an actual socialist or communist system. It's what always happens. You have the party elites who have all the power and who have all the money because money equals power, and it equals the ability to buy others and so on. And then you have the rest of the plebs who are all living in a state of equality, and by that I mean equal poverty. That's the system that we're sort of racing toward. But remember, as our current system falls apart, they're going to blame capitalism. They'll blame the free market. They're going to say, you know, the free market hasn't worked. Look how many small businesses are dead, right? The free market hasn't worked. Just look around at the healthcare system. It's like, well, have you looked at just how many regulations are involved in our healthcare system? We don't have a free market healthcare system. We don't have a free market economy. And we haven't. For a very long time, if you really if you really look at it, but most especially in the in the past couple of years, it's very easy to make the argument that the government has been involved in the direct destruction of businesses, including and especially small businesses, um, and has profited personally from that in the form of power, in addition to transferring power to the people that pay them. By what I mean by that is, for example, they you know they, they you end up with. Companies like Walmart and companies like Amazon getting massive amounts of money that would have previously gone to uh, hundreds of small businesses, and then those companies like Amazon and Walmart then lobby these individual employees, these individual um, politicians, in order to get what they want. And it becomes this um, this evil cycle. Uh, the free market does work. The problem is we don't have a free market economy. Right. Um, small markets work. Corporate Wall Street economy always fails. Well, yeah, I mean, in, in the current system that we have, you kind of have this... Well, it's somewhere between a, like a crony capitalist system and a fascistic system to the degree that you talk about something like what Mussolini was describing when he said that, you know... Uh, that it was the merger of state and corporate power, which was, you know, a reference to his system. That it should better be called corporatism. We have and that's fascism, by the way, or what he called fascism. And so that's kind of like we we have some kind of system that's something like that. Um, the republic has a free market, but no one is here. Yeah, I hear you guys. All right, um, we're gonna go ahead and and move on for a minute. Okay. Sorry, headache. Anyway, um. So a couple of different rulings today came out of the Supreme Court, and 
one was more positive than the other. So the Supreme Court of the United States issued two rulings for two different cases. And in one of the cases, they allowed the requirement for healthcare workers to go into effect. This was a requirement that mandated that healthcare workers um, get a, a vaccine and required to get a vaccine for employment. And that was one of the things, and the Supreme Court agreed. Uh, the second case was that they blocked enforcement of a mandate for businesses with 100 or more employees. And this one affected a, a larger number of people, but we'll get to them both. Okay, so the second case was basically uh, the requirement through the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. Some of you want me to call it OSHA and some of you want me to call it OSHA, it seems to depend. But in any case, it used that agency and a rule by that agency to mandate that in every sector of American life, that big businesses, that is businesses that have more than 100 employees, um, that they require their employees to get a vaccine or that they require those same employees to get a test every week and also to wear a mask constantly in order to kind of harass them into being willing to get the vaccine, right? Um, so in the healthcare vaccine case, the one that I'm going to say we lost, Biden versus Missouri, was five to four. Two Republican justices, that is uh, John Roberts and Brett Kavanaugh, joined with the uh, Democrats on the court to form a majority and basically just decided that healthcare workers don't have rights. In the other case, it was six to three with all of the Republicans forming the majority. Remember, I'm using, uh, I'm using the term Republican here because I don't think they're conservative, but yeah. In the uh, in the the second case, which was the one that affected everybody, you know, in, in throughout American work, that was six to three with the National Federation of Independent Bus Business versus the Department of Labor. Um, so that was one victory. But for those who work in healthcare, um, that's millions of Americans who have just been told that they don't have rights. That basically. I mean, it really is quite that simple. They've been told that they're second-class citizens if they work in healthcare. Now, officially, it's if they work in healthcare that gets some federal funds. And it's like, mm, as I was just saying when I was complaining about how we don't actually have a free market in healthcare, well, uh, yeah, they all get federal funds. They all get government funds. Um, and that, okay, 99% get, get federal funds. And so... What it's translating into is the fact that millions of healthcare workers are being forced in this position. And really, I hope that they um, do protest against it. I think it's wrong. I think it's evil. And the fact that the Supreme Court decided that it was legal at this particular point does not mean that it's moral, does not mean that it's right. The Supreme Court has previously said that we can do sterilization of the mentally ill, for example. Um, it doesn't mean that it's there permanently. Uh, it certainly is not a a test of its of the morality of the statute or anything like that. So I, I still think there is value in fighting against it uh, if you happen to be in that sector, and I certainly hope that you have um, friends there with you. I do think that I've had some difficulty I'm trying to be careful how I put this because I don't want to come off wrong, but. I've had some difficulty feeling that empathetic toward the healthcare workers in this particular situation, simply because right now we're living in a system that is kind of dominated by and controlled by the healthcare system, right? It's, it's a 
a sort of medical tyranny that we're living under. And you would think that those people, that more of them would have been speaking out. Uh, and I found it kind of repulsive that so many didn't start speaking out until they were personally affected. Uh, especially given that this, this entire circus has been under the auspices of this is for your health, right? Hey, Patricia. Uh, yeah, that's been, that's been the entire thing. It's been, this is for your health, believe the science, and then suddenly the healthcare workers get told, hey, you're going to have to comply too. And then there was a degree of kind of pushback. And it's like, well, shouldn't those people have been pushing back before? Because to some degree, they were kind of at least tacitly in agreement with all of this. All right, hold on. So that's been a point of kind of frustration for me. That said, um, I, I do believe that medical workers, as with everyone else, should have a, a right to their own medical decisions. And I think that's just, it ought to be obvious. It maybe isn't nowadays, but it ought to be obvious. And we're in a situation where it's like, nowadays, in a very rapid period of time, people have kind of decided, well, the government kind of does have the right over a man's own body. And that's distressing. I don't think we want to set that as a precedent that the government owns us to such a degree that it literally owns our bodies and has a right to dictate what we put into them in order to buy or sell, in order to work, right? And in order to go to various stores. I mean, in Canada, I think they just shut down liquor stores for the unvaccinated in at least one province. Um, do you think it will stop with with grocery stores? I, I don't know. Um, I'm not that convinced because we're reaching the point, as I said in the very beginning, where these people have sort of decided that the unvaccinated are the scapegoats of society. And as they start to sort of dehumanize uh, those unvaccinated, well, then at a certain point, they're going to decide, well, maybe those people just shouldn't eat, right? Maybe those people um, should just go without because when you start dehumanizing at this sort of level i mean if you look back throughout the, the 20th century that doesn't go well uh jp burn the circus down because the world is full of clowns I, I know it's become really difficult to i mean to do this work that i do in many ways because it's like it's like a sort of degradation every week uh, in in various ways so yeah i completely agree um, is it possible that hospitals, desirous to stay operative, would refuse to accept government funds? It's possible, but given we're talking about government funds, we're probably including things like Medicaid, um, doesn't seem all that likely. The governments run, sorry, hospitals run very largely on government funds and also on tax breaks. Um, and so it kind of really depends on how we're defining government funds, but if you define it in the broadest sense, there are very few hospitals that do not receive federal funds for that purpose. But yeah, absolutely, it's possible. Um, if you had like a major strike where all the employees said, hey, we're not gonna, we're not gonna work if you're gonna kind of enforce this, it's possible. There are some places that don't deal with insurance, that don't deal with Medicare or insurance, 
Um, and actually some really amazing places where you can actually go and get certain surgeries done in the United States and they'll give you like pricing up front and so on. And I really kind of think that in some ways that's the, the kind of future of medicine, frankly. And this is kind of like a topic that I'd like to expand upon in, in its own show. But yeah, there are some clinics that you can actually go to for uh, I, I I'm trying to be careful how I put this, but for, for certain medicine where it's not an emergency, but you need it to be done, you know, and so if you need that knee replacement or, or even something more like a, a gallbladder to be worked on, something like that, something that can be scheduled a few days in advance, you end up going to one of these clinics and you know beforehand exactly how much it's going to cost. And it's not like, well, here's your mystery bill which is the current system, right? It's like, you, you can call your local hospital and say, well, how much are you going to charge if I come in here um, and get some stitches? And they'll be like, I don't know. We don't know. We'll send you a bill afterwards. And then you'll, you know, you'll get the bill. And it's like, well, you went to a hospital, so it costs you know, $2,000 for entry, plus the amount for the stitches and the doctor. And that's the American healthcare system at the moment. And so when I, when I criticize um, the socialized systems in other countries, it's not because I'm saying that we have a perfect system here, we don't. Uh, there are lots of reasons for how messed it, up, messed up it is here and largely involves a lot of government intervention. In fact, and I do think in other industries, it's telling that you wouldn't be able to do that sort of thing. You would actually have to give people pricing up front and allow them to choose um, on the basis of such things as pricing, you know, in addition to, of course, things like uh, the success rates and so on. So yeah, I do think that's actually a much better way of doing medicine right now, where it's like this, this whole mystery billing, we'll just charge you whatever we want and insurance will cover it, don't worry about it. And because we're, we're kind of assuming that insurance will cover it, it ends up in this really uh, mad circle where instead we have like constantly raising insurance rates because the insurance rates have to keep up with the fact that hospitals are charging more and more for standard procedures that is getting bizarrely excessive. Anyway, I know that was that was way off topic. <clears throat> um, okay, uh, I've got several different apparently you've got several arguments ongoing by yourself. So, okay, uh, I, let's let's move on because that's all I want to say about the Supreme Court case. I I do think. I mean, I'm glad we got the victory for a lot of people out there. I wonder how many companies are going to change now that the OSHA or ASHA, whatever, um, ruling has changed. I wonder how many companies are going to say, well, okay, you don't actually have to get vaccinated. Now you can just kind of come in and we'll treat you like a normal human being who has dignity and civil rights and has a right to make his or her own medical decisions versus how many are going to just kind of go along with it. I know that uh, Jen Psaki, who is the uh, White House press secretary, just issued an announcement earlier saying, well, even though the Supreme Court ruled that way, we still really want corporations to just kind of enforce it anyway, um, which she can do legally, right? She can legally say, well, we still have this recommendation for these companies. Now, which ones will actually enforce it? I don't know. But uh, for me, I, I absolutely think that that people do and ought to have their own uh, medical decisions and ought to be able to decide what it is that they want. And it, it was just, it's disgusting all around. The fact that the government would even want to get involved and try and force a company to try and force an individual to make a decision that is counter to what he wants about his health is audacious and even evil. Um, 
Edwin says they just enforce the whims of the current leftist admin in reference to the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. Well, yeah, because, I mean, they're a federal agency and that's just often how they work. Uh, yeah. Um, oh, speaking of vaccines, the Ronald McDonald House in Canada is threatening, or actually is planning to evict all tenants, adults and children, over the age of five who are not vaccinated by the end of January, which is... Uh, twisted and evil, <laughs> you know. I was going to tell you how I see it always. All right, so I want to cue up actually a clip because there's a father who is there with his son who has leukemia, and he is about to get evicted basically at the end of January because he or his wife, he doesn't say, but at least one of them is unvaccinated for the for COVID. And so I want to show you this clip because he wants it distributed, and we can do that, right? So let's see. Here we go. So this is a piece of paper, can Lindsay zoom in on it? This is an eviction notice, I believe, to anybody older than five who's not vaccinated is getting evicted from Ronald McDonald House. So I'm just gonna go talk to the people at the counter and see if it's legit now. We're gonna skip so that he gets to his manager, because I have the impatience of a millennial. Alright, so let's skip. Get your first dose, yeah. but essentially as of January 17th, it's a board mandate from Lara. From so I just want to get this straight. So by the end of the month, my four year old boy's leukemia is getting evicted because we don't have a vaccine. This is, if he was six months old, he would be getting evicted. But yeah, because we don't have the vaccine, you're going to throw us on the snow with a few weeks' notice. Like, this is some kind of crazy evil, like, I have never seen in my life. It doesn't matter if you're vaccinated or not, everybody knows you still have to wear the masks, because you can go out and catch COVID transmitted and bring it back in. That's why I vaccinated people with masks though, so it doesn't matter if you're vaccinated or not. Just, like, the idea is to make people safer. This isn't about safety, this is, this is coercing people to get a vaccine, choosing between their children, and their own beliefs, whether it's religious beliefs, whether they're hesitant to get a vaccine. My kid has gotten all his vaccines. We're not anti-vaccines. This is absolutely an abomination. Say that, so just let me get this clear. Are you both of you vaccinated? No. So what we're doing is protecting the safety of everybody in the house. No, you're not. Because a vaccinated person can still get it and transmit it. That's right. And so what we're trying to do is reduce the risks to the entire That doesn't make sense. Your conscience is seared. Do you understand? This is absolutely evil. It is. He's right. So do you want me to... You're evicting kids with leukemia. Kids who have strong... Okay. All right. So, yeah. I mean, the, the father there is absolutely right in his sense of... Um, indignation there and you know at one point he, he tried to make the point and I'm not sure um, how well you heard it because I listened to it a couple of times but he he was making the point that basically what they're doing is they're using the kids as sort of leverage against the parents see you know either he or his wife uh, do not have the vaccine but they're saying that this you know this kid with leukemia will be will be kicked out and evicted if he or his wife don't get the vaccine, right? So they're kind of, they're using the kid as some kind of bargaining chip um, against against these parents. And these parents, um, 
yeah, I'm not going to say too much about uh, the safety of the vaccine, but it's it's just so incredibly twisted. It's like Ronald McDonald House, for those who don't know, is is a charity for sick kids. They provide housing and medical care. Um, is that's what's supposed to be? Now they're kicking kids out apparently with almost no notice. You know, here's a here's a couple of weeks to to get out or get your shot. And she was bragging about the the grace period. So you can, you can comply within this grace period. It's like like as if she's doing some kind of you know huge favor for for this family. And that was uh, Austin Ferguson is the name of the father. If you if you wanted to look him up, Newsweek put a spin on this and said that Ronald McDonald Charity will be relocating families um, at the end of the month. And it's like relocating them where, and you have to read like you know way down this article. They're not relocating them; they're just kicking them out. They're evicting them. That's not relocation. You know, that's like, you know, if you were, if you were a, a homeowner or something, a landlord rather, and you just kick somebody out and you're like, I'm relocating you. It's like, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. That's not relocation. Um, you know, b by anyone's standard, any sane person's standard in any point, in any case, it's just, yeah, uh, it, it's difficult to kind of wrap your head around the sort of degree of, I don't know just evil i guess that we're talking about here because that you know they're just like well we we have these kids and we we believe that our charity is essential for the welfare of these kids else the charity wouldn't function right so you know there's a lot of problems with the uh, the healthcare industry and there's a lot there that i don't want to get into right now because it's a massive distraction um but they believe that this treatment is essential, they believe that this service of the housing is essential, and then they're like, but if you, the parent, don't comply, we're just gonna, we're gonna punish your kid, we're gonna kill your kid, um, implicitly. So yeah, uh, William says that's dislocation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> well, that's dark. Anyway, um, let's move on, let's move on. I will say that the um, there's been a lot of talk in the past week, especially about uh, Getter, which is a social media site that proclaimed to be another free speech uh, site. And I say another because Gab currently exists, right? So you get all these different new sites that come out all the time, and they're all like, "Like we're a free speech site. Like one doesn't exist." It's like, okay, well, there is Gab. They just don't want to use it because there's too much free speech for them there, and. Uh, a guy named John Miller recently got banned. He's he's a black guy um, who described himself using a, a racial epithet that I can't say on the stream, N-I-G-G-A. And because of that, he described himself as that. On, his, on the bio at Getter, he was kicked off. And not only was he kicked off, but then the communications director over at Getter this, decided to go ahead and try and, like, um, shame them for that, which was kind of uh, odd. I think that's... Here we go. All right, so you see John Miller below in the original tweet saying, the free speech frauds at Getter have suspended me for no reason. I didn't even use it. I had no posts. Guess I was too crit critical of them for suspending others. What does it say when the first platform to ban me is the one that sells itself as the free speech alternative? And then the communications director, Ebony Bowden says, you're a liar, Miller. You did use our platform and you included the N-word in your profile, a clear violation of our terms of service. Getter does defend free speech, but we've got no room for racial slurs. Bye. Um, okay. I always like it when people say, we defend free speech, but... 
<laughs> I always find that so endearing because I grew up in England, so I heard that a lot. It was always like, well, we have free speech, but you don't have that right to hate speech. That's uh, a really, really common phrasing. Um, in fact, I heard a, I heard a cop at one point. It was, there was this, this video going around, and there was this guy who was preaching, literally preaching uh, Bible verses, and he was mentioned some stuff about homosexuality, and uh, he ended up saying to this cop, "He'll I'll go ahead and switch." He ended up saying to this cop, "Well, homosexuality is a sin," and that was his his statement. Well, that was it, right? And this cop said, "Well, you can't say that." It's like, well, homosexuality is a sin. It's an objective truth. I'm not saying whether it's good or bad. I'm just saying it's a sin. And the, the cop in the, in the case actually arrested the guy for it because he's uh, while saying, well, we have free speech in this country, but you don't have the freedom to say that. It's like, you know, you, you either believe in free speech, which is the ability to freely offend people, or you don't. You know, and that's it. That's what it comes down to. If you don't believe in the freedom to offend people and the freedom to say things other people don't want to hear, then there is no free speech. Right? There has never been a, a guaranteed right to free speech that everyone agrees with because you didn't need that. That wasn't necessary. Everyone was already fine with that speech, right? There was, there's never been a government in the history of the world that has said, you're not allowed to say the government is wonderful. You know, I mean, seriously, it's ridiculous. And that's the sort of argument nowadays. It's like, well, you can say some speech, like you can say that speech that everyone wants to hear. And then increasingly you've got these millennials and, and to some degree Gen Zers, but especially millennials who are all like, well, we should change the Bill of Rights so that we no longer have the right to free speech. But we, we have like an exception for hate speech. And uh, it seems like millennials and foreigners and someone who are running ghetto, uh, honestly. But I, I find it infuriating when we have these free speech platforms or those that peg themselves as free speech platforms that then go on and then they just kind of get in the way and they, they they're not free speech at all and they ban a bunch of like uh the america firsters they shadow banned uh, elijah schaefer from the blaze because he had the audacity to go ahead and question um why uh they were banning people and <laughs> mass this is the kind of free speech platform you're talking about then they went on gab like literally getter has an account on gab right and they started posting their, their position in the app store it's like well how do you maintain that position in the app stores you know in the apple app store and the, in the google play app store well you do that by censoring people that's it because that's how you stay in the app stores if you don't censor people um then you get kicked out as gab did and so it, there was just this incredible irony to them sitting there, so to speak, on Gab, posting about their, their great position on the app stores, which is, you know, on, on this website that actually is what they claim to be, but weren't willing to be because they cared too much about their position on the app stores. And if you care more about your position on the app store, then you're basically... Um, by surrogate, some kind of prostitute for Google or for Apple. And that's just it. You're just, you're, you're their slave, and all you care about is the sort of funding from them. That, that's it. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, believe it or not, I'm trying to cover this topic nicely, but I just can't. You know, it's like, I can't and be honest, and if I have to choose, I'll be honest. This is the kind of free speech they don't like, you see. And it reminds me a lot of um, Paula or as they used to call it, parlay, is how everyone was supposed to pronounce it was parlay, like it was French, which is always a bad sign, you know, especially in regards to their courage. 
But um, anyway, back on target, I remember uh, Paula had a similar speech policy, right? And then uh, they started kind of banning certain people to try and maintain their position on the App Store as well. I mean, eventually they ended up kind of losing Amazon as the as the hosting provider. Hey, let's be frank. Um, good to see you. Always check out Frank's channel. He's a great guy. Uh, with, with puts out some really great content. Anyway, when it comes to Parler, they were actually using hosting from AWS, right, which is Amazon Services, and so they it, they just it just fell apart, right? I mean. When they lost Amazon, they weren't able to properly migrate to anywhere else. And the thing is that Rumble is also running on uh, on Amazon servers as well, even though they proclaim that they're not. But you can actually do the uh, you can do the lookups and you can see that they are. And it's like, well, then that's just it's just a matter of time, right? Because of all, because Rumble is also on the app stores. Um, and yes, I upload to Rumble for now, but I upload to YouTube for now too. I just don't pro proclaim and pretend like it's it's a free speech site because it's not. And you can look at their terms of service, and they've got hate speech right in there, as does Getter with its you know everything. Um, I think Getter is the worst of the of the collection of different non-free speech sites that proclaim to be free speech, so that they can get people who actually care about free speech. Um, yeah, that was a mouthful. But in any case, that's a system. Uh, so you showed, you seriously showed your English there. Exactly. I, I grew up, you know, in England. And so the, the kind of collective culture is all like anti-France. I'm, I'm trying here. Um, but when I hear people is like, pronounce it parlay. And I'm just like, mm, no, <laughs> you don't want me to. Anyway, let's, let's, we've got to move on. All right. Cause I want to show you something and it was, I shouldn't find it amusing, but there's this, um, there's this video that was put out by uh, the Australian media, and it's of the Western Australia Premier, which is basically like the governor, right, of, of Western Australia, which is a is kind of like the closest thing they have to, to a province or a state, okay? I'm, I'm trying to make this kind of um, non-xenophobic. <laughs> no, no, I'm trying to uh, make this possible for everyone to understand. My headache's going away, by the way, so I'm getting louder. But in any case, um, they put out this clip well, they decided, right, that the reason that the Aborigine people weren't um, listening to the sort of COVID instructions at all is the fact that the Aborigines just couldn't understand English well enough. This was, this was serious, because Aborigines actually speak English. Um, and so what they decided to do, this is, this is terrible, is they had this black Aborigine woman, right, displayed next to the premier, who's you know, obviously a white guy. And she ends up repeating everything he said, but in broken English. And honestly, if you were like at a, if you were like at a clan gathering or something, you might expect this kind of thing as a skit. Like we're gonna say it in white people, and then we're gonna say it in Ebonics. I mean, it is so over the top, and I'm just gonna show it to you because it's a government, it's a government piece. So I can actually share this and not even worry about it, but it's not my fault if this seems racist as hell, because it is, but, um, I didn't do it. This isn't actually a clan video. This is actually from the Western Australia Premier. Um, so yeah. This is an important message to keep Aboriginal people safe. And the young message is a proper important one to keep everybody safe one. You can die from the corona or get really sick. People can pass away from this corona Oh, you better can get really sick one. It's time to get the corona needle to keep people and country strong. Dijan, 
Be time to get him this needle, long corona, to keep him. But all the people and country proper strong one. I'm sorry. This is just. Can you imagine being this this guy right here, this white guy, the premier? And keeping a straight face? Yes, she's supposed to be translating, seriously. Like, as if this is some other language, but it's not. She's just saying one at the end and making it really dumbed down. It's like, imagine being the white guy who's there, and he understands exactly what she's saying, unlike any translator he's ever stood next to. It doesn't matter what language it was, like, if, if they were speaking French, he would know they were speaking French. If they were doing sign language, he knows that I don't speak that, so, you know, I get it. But with this, he understands, because we understand. But he's keeping a straight face the whole way through, like it's just like not a big deal. The corona needle will protect kids, old people, men and women. Well, the young corona needle, gotta keep Mel a safe one for all the kids and for all the men and women. Many people around the world have already had the needle. Big more people all around the world been already getting but their needle. This is the best English to English translation I've ever seen. This is like, and what do they even call this? Is they call this like, like white to black or something? I, I mean, really, this is unbelievable. It is free and it's safe. Dijan, that needle black rona, a free one <laughs> and a safe one. It's a free one and a safe one. See. I, I have the best translation, I have like the best black translation ever. Seriously, I'd I, I be able to talk like this. Okay, I'm if you're gonna... worried, talk to your clinic or medical center or go to Roll Up for WA on the internet. Even a worrying but talk like yours for the clinic or go like a hospital place or go to get himself Roll Up. Okay, okay, I can't do any more. Seriously. But can you imagine being being that woman? And like, so you have to imagine this this fully. And this is what gets me, right? This guy, or some other white person, came up to her at some point and said, you know, your people, that's what they'd have to say, your people are... Uh, aren't listening to us so we think that maybe they just are too stupid to understand our language even though it's the same as yours so could you maybe repeat our messages in ebonics and put the word one at the end of every sentence and then then they'll take the corona needle <laughs> seriously like i'm not making this up somebody actually did that that conversation happened that's all I'm saying. Like, I wouldn't have that conversation with a black person. I wouldn't. But but they did. Because they're like, they're not listening. They must not understand. Even though it's our language. Uh, what do you even say? So I had to share that with you because it's like... I, I, I can't even. Like, I don't even know what to say to that. I, I, I watched it repeatedly and I'm like... This is a, this, this is a, some kind of sketch, right? This is a skit. No, it's not. It's actually real. That's, that's from the government, um, which knows best, naturally. Definitely follow their advice. Uh, Zimba says, you would be banned from ghetto if you did that skit. <laughs> I know, I know, right? Exactly. Yeah, I'd be banned from parlay as well.
Um, imagine the board meeting to have this idea. Yeah. This, this collective of white people all gathered around saying, the blacks aren't listening. How do we fix it? But you gotta talk. Okay, I, I can't. I can't even complete that sentence. Uh, anyway, so moving on. Before we get into, we before you guys get me into trouble. Um, I, I just, you know, it, it is the sort of thing that you could you could film that and just have like one person in blackface and one person who's actually white, and it would be like an actual clan skit. And yeah, and these are the people who took your guns exactly, e exactly. Uh, what social media can we join now? I I just use. For actual media where I can talk freely, the only one that I rely on is Gab. That is it. Um, I I still use the others until I'm banned, but more like an RSS feed, meaning that I just kind of post my shows as I as I get them done. And if there's people still there, and if they still see it, and if I'm not shadow banned, great. But as far as actually communicating with people and actually giving any opinions that uh, that I that I hold, I do that on Gab because I I hate the idea. You tune into Twitter and you get your stupid little box that pops up. And then you're like, how do I rephrase this to make sure that I'm within this guideline and that guideline? And if I just go to Gab, I just don't have to do that because I don't have any illegal opinions. And so that's it. So, you know, I'm not um, promoting an immediate act of violence, which would be the only illegal opinion, right? It would be, it would be go and grab your gun and do X, Y, and Z. Um, I'm not doing that. So other than that, I can state whatever it is that I actually believe. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to worry about being censored. Uh, I can just speak freely. And that's actually their, their, their logo, their, their motto, rather. So it, it's really the only place that, that I really do fully engage. Um, and if you're looking for me there, I'm just under my name, Sarah Correa. Okay. Uh, does anyone know the Ebonics Lady's Twitter account? You guys are terrible. It's terrible. Um, yeah. Uh, and by the way, when it comes to Gab, though, um, there is a point when you first join, and this happened to me years ago, where it was a bit weird. Because it's like, I, I have to type a message, right? And I can say anything. You know? And, and that's actually a little bit odd at first. You're like, I don't actually have to rewrite this message based upon accordance with, you know, some COVID ruling or some... Um, other policy that's held by this big tech company that I don't actually align with. I'm just, I just speak whatever, whatever it is I want to say. Um, <clears throat> what time is it? Okay, we still got plenty of time. All right, good. Um, let's see. I wanted to, you know how it's a bad sign, right? When the government starts making lists of the non-compliant. Well, we're there. The the Pre-Trial Services Agency for the District of Columbia is a really long name for a really small agency. It's a federal entity that is small, and they announced a new record system that will store the names and personal religious information of all employees who make a religious exemption request from the vaccine mandate. And they're going to keep a list. And they don't say why they need to create this list, but they've got this new order that this this agency is going to collect and store the employee religious exemption information. The thing is that I, I don't think it will be limited to this small agency. I think it's sort of a test case, which is what usually happens, where this will pretty soon spread out throughout the entire government and then throughout all the government contractors, which ends up being a lot of people, and then kind of goes from there. And the thing is that... Whenever you have like a, a religious exemption to a, a vaccine mandate, 
that affects federal employees. And there's, there's a lot wrong with that entire saga. There's a lot wrong with that sentence, frankly. I should never have to say that in the United States. But one of the things you deal with is they have to decide um, if if you're okay, right? They have to decide if they agree with your exemption. And so that ends up being that you have a federal agency deciding if your religious beliefs meet their idea, right? They end up having to decide if your religious beliefs are valid. And that is not something we were supposed to have in the United States. You weren't supposed to have the government deciding on different, say, denominations, let's say, or, or whether or not you are the right kind of Christian or, or what have you, you weren't supposed to have, especially in a government job, the government deciding um, your faith and whether your faith meets their idea of acceptability. But that's that's what you're talking about. I think this is very much the next step. Yeah, it is against the First Amendment. And you know, again, this is a small agency that no one's ever heard of. The Pretrial Services Agency for the District of Columbia. Um, but I think it's just the first one. And so I'm kind of giving you this sort of heads up as to this is the direction uh, that we're going to go in. That way, in the future, I can kind of take a clip of me doing this tonight. And I'll be like, see, I told you. Um, so, yeah. A uh, guy calling himself Jared Kushner on DLive says, Friends of mine are dealing with this. Uh, Dan... Corp employees, federal contractors, Boeing is dishing this BS out now too. Uh, yes, I mean when I when I mention that, it's like that there are a massive number of, of federal contractors, and of course that the the federal government itself is a lot bigger than most people think it is. Most people don't realize that it goes into the millions um, of people because nobody wants to think that the government is that big. But my gosh, is it ever? And all those people are even currently right now dealing with the whole. Uh, religious exemption saga in which it's not like you just issue a piece of paper say hey this runs afoul of my religious beliefs and therefore we're done but rather uh, they're having to get this this statement usually uh, the the government or the agency whoever they work for is requiring that it comes from some kind of religious figure within the organization like it like a priest or something like that and then they get to determine and try and break apart the arguments and decide whether or not that's acceptable. Like, no, this isn't the way the government is supposed to work. The government isn't supposed to be telling these people whether or not their their faith is acceptable. That's the government determining and, and establishing its own religion, deciding what religion is acceptable. We never wanted that. Quit with the Russian in the chat. Okay. Anyway. Um, oh, also, Project Veritas got censored all over the, the place um, this week. Because they distributed some... It's ironic, I'm streaming to YouTube. They um, distributed some media about the origins of COVID-19. And they released a bunch of documents and so on. And they ended up... Well, they're banned all over the place. But you can still find them on Gab, as I mentioned. And also on their Telegram feed. If you want to see the videos that they're putting out, at least subscribe to them at least one of those places and both if you use both, uh, because increasingly it's getting really difficult for groups like that who do some really solid work to get the messages out. And Project Veritas is the only news agency that, that I can think of that does independent um, media. Like truly, like there are a lot of independent uh, 
news agencies that are on the right. But what they do is they find news elsewhere and they kind of try to bring it to light. And they they tell you that kind of put I don't want to say spin, but they kind of give you a a moral argument from the right on the topic. Okay, that's different from actual on the ground investigative reporting, which is what Project Veritas does. That's very unique. I think maybe. The Epoch Times, which calls itself the Epoch Times, which drives me crazy because, anyway, I don't know if it's just an English thing, but it's always Epoch. Anyway, um, they're the only, I think, two groups that I can think of now off the top of my head that do this. And it's a really important service and it'll become more important into the future. It'll become more important into the future that people, um, that we get real access to on the ground news as opposed to just kind of bringing forth um, news that's been put forth by other agencies because I think the, the news media will end up getting kind of bought out in a similar way to what has happened in Canada, if you don't know. You end up having the Trudeau government uh, probably a couple of years ago now that basically said that uh, they were going to give money, right? In other words, buy out all the different big media houses and only if they could, only if those media houses would pledge not to engage in misinformation. So it gave the Trudeau government the power to control what those media outlets would put out because the government had the position to decide what was disinformation and what wasn't. And so then all you have left over there is kind of like rebel news. Um, and, and good for them for kind of refusing that money and maintaining their independence. Um, and thank you guys for your promotion of me in, in public office. It's it's an incredibly flattering statement that you'd want me to represent uh, you in that capacity. Uh, it is, so I'm flattered. Thank you. Um, in any case, uh, let's see, let me just scroll down. There we go. I'd like to see Sarah face off against AOC. I, <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd be more than willing. I don't think she would, however. Uh, so there is that. Um, in regards to... Um, in regards to the censorship issue that we've been talking about, though, because uh, Joe Rogan had Dr. Malone on, kind of famously at this point, 270 scientists and doctors signed a letter to harass Spotify, um, because Spotify is the main distributor of Joe Rogan's podcast, right? Because he signed a deal with the devil, uh, sorry, he signed a deal with Spotify, um, guaranteeing that they would get exclusive access and this was again probably two years ago um they gave him like really i know it was a really large sum of cash i can't remember how much it was i covered it at the time because i remember saying well i can understand why someone sells out who's poor but he was already rich anyway he has this exclusive contract with, with spotify and spotify has already censored a ton of different podcasts especially most notably the ones with alex jones i know they apparently removed uh, 40 podcasts of Joe Rogan in 2021 um, because they just didn't want them on their platform. <clears throat> Rolling Stone has been kind of running its own little um, censorship campaign against uh, Joe Rogan and against Spotify, trying to put as much pressure on Spotify as possible. And Spotify is kind of this like, pretty libtard company. Uh, for example, uh, PragerU was trying to run ads on Spotify some time ago, and PragerU is a conservative-leaning organization, but they're very, very middle of the road. They, they've never said anything offensive um, that I can possibly even imagine. I mean, seriously, they're like, I would really call them centrists at this point. But in any case, um, Spotify banned their ads, and their ads were talking about censorship in schools and stuff like that. And Spotify was like, not on our platform. <laughs> you know, we don't want that kind of talk here. 
so that's kind of how uh, left at Spotify is. So I was kind of um, surprised when Joe Rogan decided to go there. I mean, I realized that there's a massive amount of money, but at the same time, it was like it was really selling out a lot of his independence. Um, he was on YouTube before, but in addition to other places. So he didn't have all his eggs in one basket. His relationship with YouTube was not exclusive, obviously, hence he was able to leave. So he kind of had more freedom there. And with the size of his audience, he really could have gotten a lot more independent um, than, than he was. So it, it seemed insane to me, the decision he made. I do think you'll end up having a problem when it comes to... Uh, when it comes to Spotify, it's not going to end well. Oh, speaking of which, the Biden um, recently just asked social media to fix the disinformation and media providers. Okay, someone in the chat is asking about Getter. Yeah, I already discussed them and their, their lack of free speech. Uh, so I'm not going to get into it again for the people who have been here the whole time. All right, but let's go ahead and queue up because I, I, I just realized I actually have this clip uh, of Biden earlier today. So let's do that. Unfortunately, while our military is stepping up, as they always do, there are others sitting on the sidelines, and we're standing in the way. If you haven't gotten vaccinated, do it. Personal choice impacts us all, our hospitals, our countries. I make a special appeal to social media companies and media outlets. Please deal with the misinformation and disinformation that's on your shows. Okay, and it's like, okay, so he's telling these social media companies to deal with the misinformation and disinformation that's on their shows. And it's like, it always disturbed me that you have this, whenever you have government people that are publicly pressuring private companies uh, to, to stamp down on people's rights, and that's what you're talking about here. You're talking about the President of the United States. Just to give you the full context here, right? The President of the United States is telling private companies that they should infringe upon the rights of the citizens who use their platforms to distribute information that he disagrees with. Because when he says misinformation and disinformation, that's a reference to information with which he and his administration disagree. And he's saying, you know, crack down on those people. That's, that's what he's saying. Um, and I think everybody ought to be outraged by that, but it's become so normal in the Biden administration, most especially because I don't think the Trump administration did this, but the Obama administration did. So we had a kind of a, like a, a four year uh, break from this. We should be appalled by this. I was appalled when you had um, Senator Warren and so on talking about this too during the Trump administration because they were trying to send letters to Google and so on saying, censor these people. Uh, we should all be outraged because these people ought to be those who recognize the fundamental God-given rights um, of their citizens and who work most diligently to defend them. That should be their primary du duty. It's not this American way of saying duty, is it? I can't remember how Americans say duty, um, but I know it's not like that. In any case, um, I'm being especially English tonight, so sorry, forgive me. Uh, let's see, did you say anything else in here? It has to stop. COVID-19 is one of the most formidable enemies America has ever faced. We've got to work together, not against each other. Is that not just incredibly ironic? We have to work together, guys. We have to work together, he says. After, I mean, this is in, in the same environment, right, where he's like wanting to forcibly inject people against their will, threaten them with losing their jobs, wants to come down upon them for their uh, free speech. This is in the same environment where you have uh, Macron, for example, referring to the 
unvaccinated in regards to COVID as being non-citizens. These are the things he should be kind of talking about if he cares about fundamental human rights, if he cares about citizens, if he cares about unity, he should mention any of this and he doesn't. And then he, he made that, that comment about how COVID-19 is the biggest that America's ever faced. Like, tell that to somebody who lived through the Cold War. Like, what are you talking about the biggest threat America's ever faced? America's faced a lot of threats in its 300 years, you know, and it's faced, I mean, even its original threat, you might say, against the biggest superpower that was known in the world was kind of a threat that was bigger than COVID. I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. It is outright ridiculous to say that. <clears throat> uh, the Ecclesia says he is one of the biggest threats. Yes. Um, yes, absolutely. Um, oh, and Second Timothy says his patience is wearing thin. I do remember him saying that, actually, about how his patience is wearing thin. Yeah, and this is the person, again, who's all like, you know, pro-unity. And by unity, he means it's time for you to agree with him. Uh, it's like the sociopath's version of unity, like, unite with me. <laughs> you know, that's kind of like what he's saying. Like, how dare you be different? Come and unite, you know, with, with me and my power. Uh, that's not unity in the way that I, I would figure it. Sorry, I, I just don't. I, I don't think so. Uh, pause a cup of tea. I, 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 yeah, I, I know. Um, anyway, uh, pretty soon I'm gonna uh, wrap up the show. I'm just warning you, so if you want to put any uh, questions in the chat, you can do that. I'll keep on talking for a while, but I'm just warning you that we are coming to the end because it is technically at the hour. Uh, Chris, uh, just saw Chris Espival asking, do you think his cure for cancer is on schedule? I do remember that actually. That was his, for those who don't remember, it was during his election campaign. And he said that when he was elected, he would find the cure for cancer and thus would be fixed. And it turns out he can actually cure the common cold. He can rename it. Other things I shouldn't say. Uh, anyway, uh, Lawrence, don't give up your guns, you're going to need them. It does seem like we are on a totalitarian path, I'll, I'll just say that. Uh, to 40 and times, I don't know what you're referring to. Uh, so no. Uh, anyway, Okay, so so I do want to mention, actually, that there's been a sort of expose, you might say, uh, in Michigan. So Pulitzer Prize winning journalist named Charlie LaDuff has been exposing uh, Governor Whitmer uh, over there in Michigan, who you might remember was one of the most totalitarian governors uh, in the United States throughout this whole COVID uh, saga. And it turns out that COVID deaths in Michigan's long-term care facilities are 42% higher than the Whitmer administration admits, according to the state's Auditor General. So that means that the that, that puts basically Michigan on par with what happened in New York with, with Governor Cuomo in terms of concealing the truth about what's going on in these long-term care facilities, nursing homes, and so on. Right? Yet another state is being found guilty of basically murdering um, lots of old people. I'm just going to put it in plain English. That's the version in plain English, is these people, through their bureaucratic policies, ended up basically killing people, ended up actually killing people. 
this was a state in which then Governor Whitmer uh, forced nursing homes to accept patients who were sick, who forced nursing homes to accept patients who were positive. Um, yeah, in order to supposedly alleviate the burden on hospitals. But remember, the people in nursing homes were and always are the people who are most at risk from this kind of condition. Always. I mean, that's the case with, with colds, with bronchitis, with flus. That's always the case. And we know that it's the case. And nursing homes of the past knew that it was the case. And they made decisions to try and protect their people. And then in places like New York with Cuomo, and in cases apparently in Michigan with Whitmer, they overrode the decision-making of nursing homes to force nursing homes to accept these people. Thus, you know, immediately after coming out of the hospital, for example, or with positive testing and so on, when normally, if, I mean, even it doesn't even matter, you know, how severe you think COVID is. With the flu, they wouldn't often accept a sick person like this because it could kill an entire nursing home. It could kill mass numbers of people. And yet, in this particular case, they were required because government bureaucrats, or government tyrants, rather, decided that they knew best, and they didn't want their, their hospitals to get overwhelmed was the excuse that they used. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's evil. And so they ended up killing people. And it's still not getting anywhere near the coverage that it ought to be getting. I and mean, this, this you would think would be, you know, a major story. Uh, it's not, not yet anyway. I, I doubt it will be for long. Because, you know, Whitmer is someone they want to defend. Cuomo, they found other ways to get rid of him. It, it's ironic that they got rid of Cuomo for some sexual harassment claims, but didn't get rid of him for the mass murder um, of all the different people that died under his care. So there is that. Not just under his care, that's, that's not fair, but as a result of the policy that he enacted via executive order, which, by the way, I think was a, a misuse of an executive order um, to tell a private business that they're not allowed to, to do this, to protect their, their patients there. But that's what happened. Um, bless you, says Sarah, is that really you on Minds? I do have a Minds account. I should have a little check mark there because I, you know, uploaded a picture with an ID and all that to prove that it's really me. Um, it's not like some special deal like on Twitter where it's like, you know, if you're really special, it's not like that. It's just, yes, I really am me. Same, same way on Gab. Um, so yes. Um, okay, I'm scrolling through your comments looking for those of you who are actually asking me questions as opposed to arguing amongst yourselves, which is fine. And I, I'm sorry to those who are like posting like YouTube links. I can't watch a YouTube video while streaming at the same time. That's, um, yeah. We're under the slow kill mandate. Yeah, I know. Um, scrolling through. Okay, pretty pretty active. I am on Telegram actually. Someone was asking the night hikers to get on Telegram. I am. I am. Uh, we have a group there that's uh, pretty active, and also I have an announcement channel. If you join the group and you're welcome, you might want to just mute it because there's so many. I get people who join and then they get mad because people talk a lot. It's like that's the way that groups work. You're welcome to mute it and then just come by whenever you have a chance to chat with me and friends. Um, that's that's an option for you. Go for it. Okay, let's see. I've got like several different topics that I could still talk about that are on my list that I wanted to get to. Okay, we're going to talk about at least one more topic, okay? Because this one is really important, all right? Um, so, uh, you know the case in Loudoun County, Virginia, right, with the 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 boy who went into the women's bathrooms and raped a girl and then was 
moved into a different school and then sexually assaulted a girl there. You remember that case? Well, in that case, the, um, the, uh, the family of the girl who was raped in the girl's bathroom asked the judge to spare the rapist from jail. Um, okay, so again, the family of the victim asked the judge to spare the rapist from jail, quote, to give him a fighting chance at becoming a better person, unquote. This is woke at a level I just can't even quite grasp. This isn't uh, the rapist's family. This is the victim of the rapist's family. This, this woman, this mother, Jessica Smith, stood up at her daughter's rapist sentencing hearing and asked the judge, a Judge Pamela Brooks, not to jail him and to help him seek treatment instead. <clears throat> the judge um, granted him probation in addition to some time in a uh, health facility. So yeah, um, not going to prison as a rapist and sexual assault um, person, instead is going to receive therapy and probation. I, I couldn't be more outraged at everyone in this case. At the rapist who wore the skirt to get into the women's bathrooms, at the school board who allowed the gender-neutral bathrooms to take place, at the people who simply relocated him after he sexually assaulted people in order to cover up the fact that they had this trans policy in place, at the parents who cared so little for justice of their daughter that they decided that they cared instead that he that this guy be sent to um, to a treatment facility instead of actually appropriately treated, it's, you know, tr instead of treated justly and sent to prison where he belongs after sexually assaulting multiple women, multiple girls. I mean, there's just there's just so much there, there's so many people in this case, and I feel for the girls who were sexually assaulted and the girl who was raped uh, to be surrounded by so many people of so little morals. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I try not to seem hyper-emotional on these topics, but my gosh, these people are so bad. Like, and, and I really do feel for the, the victim in, in this case, for the victims, because there are multiple girls who were assaulted, who have so few people around them who care about justice and decency and right and wrong and about giving them the closure in this case that they really need and keeping the, the sexual assaulter, this rapist, off the streets and away from them and letting them know that they're, they're safe and that society cares enough to make sure that they do actually stay safe. That society cares enough. Like, um, it's, the entire thing is despicable all around. Um, and the rapist's family <laughs> is angry that he's going to have to register as a sex offender when he turns 18. That's, 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 that's their, their outrage, is that instead that this 15-year-old right now rapist is going to have to register as a sex offender. Like, he's a rapist. If a rapist doesn't have to register on the sex offender's register, then what the heck is the point of the, of the list? You know, like, that's literally what it's for. You know, and yes, we put people on the list who 
have done lesser things than that. But nobody ha that I've ever heard is arguing, you know what, in the rapist case, you know, he's a little young, let's let it go. Uh, he's 15. Like, <laughs> that's old enough to know not to rape. You know, go figure. I don't think, I, I don't think that's the age at which we're like, well, I'm not sure the age of reason has been reached yet at 15. No. Um, it has. He decided on such things. He decided to dress as a woman, to go into the bathroom, and then to rape a woman using the parts of him that he, that he has because he's a man. Right? It's, it's infuriating in so many ways. Um... Yeah, and I don't think the guy will. Yeah, the guy will be out pretty quickly because he's been charged in a juvenile court. He hasn't been sent to jail. He's been sent to a a, a treatment facility that basically thinks that it's, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, it, the entire thing is horrifying. People ought to be outraged. And yes, it was premeditated. And again, um, Jared says at fifteen, as a male, I know you don't rape exactly. And I mean, it's it's such a ridiculous argument. And the fact that the parents are like, uh, the parents of the rapist, you have to qualify because they're both bad on both sides. Um, but the parents of the rapist are upset that he's going to have to register. That's kind of like saying, we don't think he's he knew better or something like that. Like he's just, he's only 15. It's like if, if a 15-year-old boy didn't know better than to not rape, then how, how, how badly did you mess up as parents? And that's not usually the sort of thing that I would say on a video, but we're, we're kind of reaching like new heights of, of messed up, right? Uh, and so I look at a case like that and I'm like, uh, if you seriously, like, I don't think that you have to have a father who sits down with his teenage boy and say, son, you shouldn't rape girls. Like, I don't think that conversation has to take place. Um, uh, it, it doesn't. You raise your child uh, to be decent. And that doesn't have to happen. Okay. Anyway, I am going to go ahead and wrap up. I don't see any more um, questions directed at me. Um, as always, there are uh, discussions and probably some arguments there mixed in. But it has been a good night. And my, my, my headache slash migraine, because it was a migraine when I first started, uh, went away about 30 minutes in. So we managed to, we managed to make it through. And I will say, um, Baked Alaska, uh, I, I don't remember his real name, but that's the name he goes by online, and he just got sentenced to 30 days uh, for his appearance on January 6th, where he went into the Capitol and was live streaming. And uh, so uh, it, it, it might stand to say a prayer for him and for his, his loved ones, because this could be you know, a difficult time for him. I know that they're going to appeal, so he's not actually in yet. But... Uh, yeah, there are a lot of people who went to January 6th who are being mistreated and who have been, many of whom haven't even been out, who are still incarcerated. And I think that from what I saw just before I came on air, that things might be even getting worse in the area of January 6th um, in the area of them charging some people from the Oath Keepers with sedition. I don't know the, the full details yet, so I'll have to cover it in a separate uh, video when I, I know more because I don't like to report about things of which I do not know. Um, that's, that's why I do this because so many people report about things that they don't know and it drives me crazy and I have to yeah, stand, stand in the way of that. So in any case, yeah, uh, he does have a Give, Send, Go account, Baked Alaska does, if you want to help support his defense. And on that topic, I will say thank you to those of you who support this show um, here. Thank you. And you support it in a lot of different ways. Um, 
Some of you keep me in prayer. Thank you for that. Some of you send me some of the emails that in many ways and in certain days really do keep me going. There was one that I received in the last week that was um, incredibly moving. It's a person who only identified himself as D or, or herself, he didn't even say, and didn't have an email with which I could respond. Um, but I will say thank you to you too. And I will keep doing this. And uh, I appreciate all the different manners of support, like moral and uh, prayerful support. And also, of course, the financial support. Uh, thank you so much. And yes, I do broadcast on YouTube and DLive right now. I will try and branch out. I'm going to kind of experiment with that soon to see if I can also broadcast on Odyssey at the same time. But the moment is these two, and then I'll, I, I upload to different sites uh, thereafter. Um, so, yeah. All right. Thank you, guys. Then that was that was a very long ending. But good night, and thank you so much for joining me. Bye-bye. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider helping to support it. You can give a one-time donation or buy a branded mug at thecrusadergal.com. Or you can donate monthly by searching for my name, Sarah Correa, at Subscribestar. Thank you so much. I couldn't do this without your support. And whether you can help financially or not, don't forget to tell your friends. Big Tech isn't going to help me spread the word. Thank you.